Um, we all know Ken pretty well, I think, by now. So uh, thank you for coming again and sharing with us. Psalm 57. One thing I have with me this week is my sermon notes, and that's a good thing because I've never preached in the, um, from this particular passage before, and so I need the help. Now, what have you been doing for the last two weeks? Well, I mentioned, I think it would have been three Sundays ago, that uh, I would be doing a crazy thing, and I did it and survived. So I'll be talking about that in just a little bit. But let me just give you, first of all, an introduction to this this psalm. And uh, you can see there, there's a superscription for this psalm. And so it says to the chief musician, and then it says, uh, a mickum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. And so I looked at that. What is a mickum? I have no idea. I had no idea. It's a term found in the titles on Psalm 16 and Psalm 56 through 60. And so it's possibly a musical or liturgical term. It seems like kind of would think it would be sort of a musical term because, I mean, it's written to a musician there. So in other words, this, this as, all, as men, most of the songs, psalms were meant to be, there. this is a song. And the words or uh, the, the songs that um, every time you would sing it, obviously you're singing these words every time. But that's what we do too. When we sing, we're singing songs that we, real, that we know and, and it is the same words every time. What's the purpose of singing them again and again? I got thinking through this because I was looking through the song in kind of a new perspective. And, and the purpose of us singing the same words over and over again, I think, is because they, we are then reminded again of their message over and over. And that's what David is doing for us here, is writing this psalm for us. And, and the, the circumstances are very, very significant here. When he fled from Saul in the cave. So this is not a time of great wonder and blessing and glorious uh, one, uh, um, provision in David's life as far as you know everything's going really really well for him actually it's not going well at all because he's having to flee from someone which was happened to be the king who wanted to kill him and you know what kings usually have you know at least some amount of power in their lives and certainly Saul made it his object and goal to bring a premature end to David's life and uh, also Unique to this psalm in, here in 57, when you look at verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, they're paralleled in Psalm 108, verses 1 through 5. Now, it's not exact word for word, but it's very, very close as far as our, uh, when you compare the, the, the message is, is very similar there. And so I want us to, to think through the idea of growing our dependence on the Lord. We need to grow our dependence on the Lord, and, and God gives us plenty of opportunity for that. And especially in our times of need, we, we really always have a need to have a strong dependence on the Lord. But sometimes when things are going so well, it's easy to kind of get away from that. You know, so, okay, hey, things are going well. I I'm doing all right. It's only when things are not going well, we, we tend to realize, well, wait a minute, I need the Lord now. And it's unfortunate that we do that, but that's our human condition because we kind of 
tend, I think our tendency is always to, to see what I can do, what I can accomplish, and what I can bring about in, our own, in my own things like that. So anyway, I certainly had an, uh, a reminder of this in the last two weeks. As I mentioned before, I went on an Answers in Genesis trip down the Grand Canyon. I'd never been to the Grand Canyon before, if you, and I honestly didn't even know where it was, not much as far as where it was. It was amazing, and it was beautiful, and, but, uh, but it was a time where I was really out of my element. I was in surroundings I'd never experienced before. You know, 113 degrees or 114 degrees, you know, during the daytime. Now, that wasn't too bad because we're on a boat. So when you ever got really hot, hat off. You had to have a hat and you just soaked it in the water and put it on. And it's like air conditioning for your head. So that was okay. But, but um, a lot of other things I wasn't used to either. And... Uh, and then, you know, how to eat, how to sleep. I mean, we camped. And I mean, I'm not really a camping type person. But this was, I think, rough for anybody who's ever camped before. And, and so how to interact with other people that I'd never met before. I sort of knew, I was fairly familiar with one person. And then I had met another person one time before. But that's about it. And there was 32 of us there. And uh, there wasn't much privacy to speak of that I, I can assure you of that. And I knew ahead of time this was going to be kind of a strength for me and that the only way I was going to thrive in this kind of environment was just to accept the circumstances and then eventually embrace them. Hey, this is the way we're doing it, so let's just do it that way. Why we do it that way, I don't know, but I mean, that's just the way you do it, I guess, when you're in a camping situation. So we, we went 187 miles down the Grand Canyon, but every night, and we, uh, we would camp somewhere. We didn't know necessarily, even the boatmen who were directing us didn't know where we would camp because the procedure is is that there's other companies in the Grand Canyon doing this. And so you had to come to a place where no one else was. It's first come, first serve. So anyway, I knew I had to embrace this because that's the only way it would make it bearable. But that was much easier at the beginning of the trip than the end of the trip because, you know, you're doing the that it's kind of getting weary of these very strange procedures about how do you live your life there when you're on that kind of a, a boating experience. Now, it was glorious. It was grand. It was amazing. I did come away with 6,843 pictures, so I got my, my, uh, my worth out of it that way. But I also realized that I needed to to reorient myself because the way I'm normally doing things, I'm not doing these things here, and it's very uncomfortable and 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 uh, challenging. And that reminded me, I, I didn't come to this psalms, this particular psalm, uh, until later. But but this was a really helpful psalm for me. And uh, I'd like to read through the whole thing as we go, uh, as we begin here. All right, so let's take a look at our. Uh, the text here it says be merciful unto me O god be merciful unto me for my soul trusteth in thee yea in the shadow of thy wings i will make will i make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed i will cry unto god most high unto god that performeth all things for me for he shall well, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that that would swallow me up selah god shall 
send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among the lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. So he's not in a friendly place, okay? Be thou exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they have fallen themselves. Selah. By the way, that word selah comes through in Psalms from time to time. And no one's exactly sure what it means for sure. But but I remember one of my teachers saying to me that, that it means just stop and think. Take a pause and think about what was just said. I think that's pretty good, too. I think we should do that anyway. Verse 7, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Now, wait a minute. He just described a really tough time, and he's going to sing and give praise for that. That's amazing. Awake, O my soul. Uh, oh, sorry, let's go with verse 8 here. Awake, awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be upon uh, be above all the earth. Now, as I mentioned there, David's going through a difficult time. He's got someone who wants to murder him, and it's not like it's just someone who is of no consequence. This happens to be the, the reigning monarch of the country he's in, and they're in Israel, and it's not going well. I mean, he's even hiding in a cave, and that's not an easy time to be in. And yet, where does he spend? Now, this is his song to pour out a prayer before God about his situation. He really doesn't talk about the situation all that much. I mean, he mentions in verse 4 and verse 6, and and uh, allusions other places, but but he's really spending a lot of time praising God in this uh, in this prayer to God. That's amazing, I think, for us to to get a hold of. But let's take a look a little bit more closely at the text. Now we should grow our dependence on the Lord, and why is that so important? Well, there, I mean, we could have a lot of reasons for that. I mean, because you don't know when the calamities are coming, and you know if you're Boy, I haven't talked to the Lord in a long time, and now I'm I'm coming to him because I've got something going on. It's much better to keep that going. But in the text here, we see some other poor um, reasons there. I think that's important for us. And number one is because God leads us into times of life that focuses our dependence on him. You realize that? You just think, wow, this calamity arose on me, and I had no idea it was coming. That's kind of sometimes the shock of it all. And yet God does that. God knew it was coming. And he does that to focus us, our attention on him. Verse 1 there, let's go back there. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings I will, will I make refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Here's reminders of the faithfulness of God. Now, that word refuge there uh, is the same word for my soul trusteth in thee. My soul takes refuge in thee, and then I make my refuge in thee while I make my refuge in that verse. So the same, the same word is actually used twice, and that it conveys their trust and dependence. And, and 
you know, you could, you know, from our own perspective, when a calamity comes upon us, we can say, hey, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I didn't, didn't look for this problem. I didn't willingly go off the path that God has for me. But all of a sudden, I'm finding myself in a very difficult and harry, harrowing situation. Notice, too, there the phrasing he uses, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge there, where he is giving us the idea of, of being under the Almighty like a, like a hen gathers her chicks there that conveys comfort and, and security and rest and protection. And that's really key for us. God leads us into times. These things are not happenstance or by chance. God leads us into these times that, that focus our dependence on him. What was David doing wrong? Now, obviously, he's not a perfect person, but what was he doing wrong that God put him in this situation that someone's seeking his life? Well, it was part of God's plan, really. And actually, David had several times to actually take Saul's life himself, to kill Saul. This would have solved the problem. If he would have killed Saul, then he wouldn't have him coming after him and trying to take his life. But, but David didn't do that. But he was, he was not doing anything, at least at this point in his life, that was out of God's will or out of God's um, intention for him. Then verse 2, I, cry, I will cry unto God most high. You know, he's telling us what to do here when you're in a, a difficult and, and harrowing situation. Focus your dependence on the Lord. This is what he did. And other passages or other translations would say, because it says there, I will cry unto God, uh, unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Another translation says, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. That's interesting, isn't it? Who God who who. Uh, performeth everything. That is, he is putting things together for me that I'm supposed to go through. What's the point of us going through these difficulties? And of course, that's our natural tendency as human beings is we want to know why. Why is God doing this? I think David's going to tell us that's not the most insignificant question. It might be to us, but it's not really the most significant question. The most significant question is who? Who is in control? And and we know that from the Lord Himself. There's a there's a uh, parallel passage there, Psalm one thirty eight eight. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for pur- purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And and that's interesting. He's using that word steadfast love in this parallel passage, which is also in our passages. We'll see as well. In the very next verse, it says, He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. God uh, shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And that, that, there's that idea of God's chassad love, that is, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his mercy to us. And that's important for us to keep in mind, because why? What do we want to do? We want to respond with vengeance, right? Look, this is something happening to me. And and actually, even David's got an army, too. He really does. It's not huge, but he's got some people with him. And he's not going to try to take his own vengeance. 
And I think there's an application for our life in, in that realizing that we need to grow our dependence on the Lord. Why? Because he is going to lead us in the times that focus our dependence on him. And that often comes through adversity. It comes through suffering. It comes through trial. And there's a point to that. So here's the application. Do you want God's will for your life? You know, that can also oftentimes lead into difficult times, lonely times, times of severe testing. But that's what really results in sanctification in our lives, really. The sanctification process. That is when the word of God, together with the spirit of God, brings us to the realization that our difficulties are growing in us the opportunity to bring ourselves closer to the Lord and more into conformity of his will in our lives. That's what sanctification is. That is, we learn through difficulties. We learn through, even through sufferings. We don't necessarily have to like it, but we do want to accept it, to submit to it, and not fight to manipulate or maneuver circumstances that would bring what we think will bring us happiness. Now, several people are here in the congregation right now who were at, was at Faith Baptist Bible College when I was a freshman, when I was a first-year student there. And spring break that year, way back in what would have been the spring of, of 1990, was especially hard for me that year. I had gotten very sick, went to the hospital, and when I was there, I passed out there while they were trying to look at me, so they knew it was wrong. And uh, so, you know, obviously I'd gotten worn down and stuff and working a lot of hours and stuff on the warehouse and all that. So so anyway, I got very sick. And then when I got back to campus, everybody else left. I literally the whole campus was empty. It seemed like anyway. I mean, probably there were some people there, but I didn't see him. So I was very sick and I was recovering and there was nobody there. And home to me was 10 hours away or 10 plus hours. And I didn't have the means to go home that year anyway. And it was lonely. And really, I needed God's comfort during that incredibly long week. Because, you know, a week is a really long time. I learned that just this past time in the Grand Canyon. That was only a week or a little over a week. But it seemed like a really long time when this difficult. But, but what I learned through that, not necessarily during that, but looking back at it, is that God removed everyone around me and wanted me to trust in him to, to meet my needs. And that was actually a really good time for me. I've looked back on that time as uh, several uh, occasions to do so and say, look what God did. And that was good. What would we rather do? What would we naturally do in our own strength? How would we normally react to those times of difficulty? Well, I don't know if you're like me, but Anger would be one of those ways, or despair, or neglect of responsibilities, or just giving up. And you know, that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us, God leads us into these times of, of our life that focus our dependence on Him. And He can get our attention, especially when He needs to do so. So we should grow our dependence on the Lord, because we don't know when these times will come. Let's look in our passage and... And keep looking, and we'll see another reason here that it's so important to grow our dependence on the Lord, not only because God leads us purposely in the times that focus our dependence on Him, because also, number two, the danger is ever-present. And how do we know that? Well, it says so in verse 4. It says, My soul is among the lions, and I 
lie even among them that are set on fire, even the souls of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their, sharp, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Verse 6, it says, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst thereof. They are fallen themselves. But the danger is ever present. He compares these, those that want to seek his life, as lions. That is, lions or ravenous beasts. Now, I saw a clip on the internet one time where this wildebeest was was uh, trying to protect her newborn calf. And she, she just had this calf. And the herd had gone further along. And then, obviously, hungry lions were around. And, uh, and she was defending her calf really well until the huge, well, one of the other lions distracted her. And while she was distracted, a huge lion jumped on her back. And then it was all over and her calf didn't survive either. But what I noticed about that, just in this picture here of, of these lions of verse four, reminded me of that clip. The lions were unrelenting. The lions were never tiring because when one had been fought, with her and she'd kicked at him or whatever, that would go rest in another place. They were always attacking. They were coming at her from all sides and they did not play fair. That is, they were one of them distracted her while the other one jumped on her and took her down. One commentator described what David was saying here and what as he deplored being surrounded by taunting, bloodthirsty men. In verse four, their tongue, their their teeth were as spears and arrows. That is, and David had been fairly high up in the command structure of of Saul's army, and it's very well possible that David could have known some of these higher officials that were carrying out Saul's will, and perhaps lending. It seems like very clearly lending credulity to the idea that uh, David was a bad person and he must be chased down and hunted like a dog and killed. And so they were slandering here him as well. And and he the weight of that on him was seemingly over over uh, more than he could take. It says in verse Verse 6, here's a little bit of irony here, but they prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bound down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst of it. They themselves, I mean, they, they are fallen themselves. David's enemy had planned a brutal punishment, a retaliation and a destruction for him, but the result worked against their own intentions. And this would be true, you know, it's just normal if, if, if they're saying David just wants the throne for himself. Now, David didn't just want the throne for himself because he could have taken it on several occasions and he didn't. He was waiting on the Lord to give to him. He knew that God had had that for him, but he wasn't over anxious to, to, to get that himself. But they were, they were portraying him, or they very well easily could have been portraying him as, and as a usurper, a usurper of the throne. Now, the thing is, if you're going to be a usurper, that if you're going to try to take the throne away from someone else, you better leave. Because if you don't, there's nothing going to be left of it. And I can think of that. You know, we all think of Henry VIII as such a well-known, amazing king and, and all the rest of whatever else he did. But actually, it was his father, Henry VII, who really had the courage. Henry VII was, was uh, 
born in Wales and then lived in France all his life. And his mother was in the courts of uh, high up in the courts of uh, of the king that was that was ruling at that time. And when the time was right, she sent for her her son Henry the Seventh, and he came and he led the revolt and he led a usurp and he usurped the throne away from the previous king and he became king. And that's why Henry the Eighth eventually would become king himself is because his father, not actually because of anything he did. But you know, if Henry the Seventh hadn't have been victorious, we wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, even knowing anything about him. He'd have been dead, and there wouldn't have been any of his line. Uh, going on, but this is what they're they're planning for David. David is meant, or or seemed to be characterized as this usur- usurper, and and yet that wasn't true at all. So think of it this way: he's in a difficult situation, and it's not even his fault. He's being accused of things that's not even true. He didn't even deserve the punishment that he's getting, or that that they're trying to mete out to him. And he's getting it from the king that he served so well. I mean, he's the one that went out and defeated the, the Philistines on many and many occasions. And of course, that led to jealousy among Saul when people were extolling David's numbers of, of, uh, of victories as opposed to his own. But in any case, all this was coming. Now think of this. Sometimes we get into difficulties and have problems because of the consequences of our own sin. But that's not necessarily what's going on here. David had, was not guilty of trying to take the throne away from, from Saul. And yet, he's being treated as if he's the, the awful person, the, the, the evil person. One thing I think that's important, and I'm bringing this up here because I purposely let it out. I kind of skipped over that last uh, phrase in verse 1. Notice what it says there. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm gonna, in the, I'll be in the shadow of thy wings until I make my, re- I will make my refuge until these calamities are overpassed. That is, that is the the calamities. It's, it's translated the storms, storms of destruction, or just destruction and disaster is past. And that's something good for us to keep in mind in the difficulties that that we go through. Is that they do pass. They don't stay. It doesn't seem like that sometimes, but God is still someone we can trust in, and he is really what we need. Now, seeking our own revenge is is unsatisfying, really, and David did what we are to do, especially when we're unjustly accused of things, is let God work it out, even when we're in the right. We naturally want things to go smoothly for us, to be in our favor, according to our plans. That's just the way we think. And having thought about it, this is the way things should be. We come to expect it. This is the way things ought to be. And now I'm dissatisfied if things aren't that way. And we tend to revolt against it when things don't go our way. However, that's when we need to remember God is here and he is not surprised. Either he wants us to learn from the hardships we face or he is not as powerful in, in our perspective as he ought to be. And that's not God's problem, fault. That's our fault. That is, we tend to have a low view of God. Oh, he's, he's not helping me. He's not helping me get out of this situation. He's not doing what I want to do or I, I want him to do. It's not like we realize 
We need to overcome this dif- difficulty and then God will reward us with an easy life. Okay, if I do this right now, if I go through this the way God wants me to, then he's going to make everything all better forever. That's not it at all. In fact, it's, life is always going to be hard. We're always going to be in need of growth. And we're always going to need to be in, our, in, our, in need of the dependence that we have on God. And that process never stops. And that's part of our, our sanctification. That's what God wants to help us grow, to be conformed to the image of his son. It's not easy. And even just knowing it, it doesn't necessarily make it easier. It's actually practicing. It's the tough thing. But we need to grow our dependence on the Lord and let that be something that, instead of resisting, we understand what God is doing in our life. Let's keep reading our text, and we're going to look at verse 5 and then 11 through, uh, sorry, 7 through 11. We're going to see that we need to grow our dependence on the Lord because God is worthy of his, God is worthy of your trust and his plans cannot be thwarted. Let's keep reading there in verse five. Be thou exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let thy glory be above the earth. Verse seven, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. And he spends the whole rest of the psalm singing about how wonderful God is. Why? Because he has a perspective on God that even though he's in the midst of hardship, even though he's midst of people wanting to take his life, he understands that God is in control and that he is going to submit to God's plan for his life. I was asking myself in verse 5, why is David so concerned about God's glory now? Why isn't he concerned about himself? I mean, because you know what? He's still in the cave. Saul is still hunting and, and trying to hunt him down. This hasn't been resolved yet. The outward circumstances that David is in has not been resolved in the middle of this passage. I mean, it will be, and you know that eventually he becomes king, but it's not that way now. Why isn't he concerned about himself? Because he knows that God will defeat the oppressors of, of, and, and, of who are evil. God will defeat those who are opposing his plan. And so if he, he, so what I think is happening here is, is David has a, a, a correct and strong view of what God is able to do. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. That's really important for us to understand. And he doesn't know when it's going to happen. I think of, of Joseph in the, of the Old Testament in the prison of Pharaoh for, not, for something he hadn't done anything wrong for. And he didn't know. And finally, you know, the, the, the steward of Pharaoh, he interprets a dream for him and he says, don't forget about me. I'm here unjustly. And what happened to the God? He forgot about it. Didn't say anything for two years. Now, if Joseph knew that he only had to wait for two more years and then he'd be let out, it wouldn't have been so bad. But Joseph didn't know that. For all he knew, he was going to be there forever. And that's sometimes, I think, the way we can think of things, too. We don't know how long things are going to last. But David had a confidence that God was going to work things out. I mentioned there this fixed heart. It's a fixed, it's, it's fixed on a, uh, it's, it's, it's a change of mind. It's a set purpose that this is where my hope is going to be. And I'm just going to wait till God works it out. That's really hard for some of us who like to manipulate things and change things change things the way we want them to be. 
But David has this change of focus, this renewed understanding. And he says in verse 8, awake, well, yeah, verse 8, awake up, awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will arise awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. And you might say, well, David, he hasn't done it yet. You're still in a hole in the in a mountain. But you know, he was confident that God was going to work things out. For thy, for thy mercy is great upon the heavens and thy truth upon the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, among, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And here is this, this again, a mention here of this steadfast love there. And, and in verse 10, with the mercy of God, that hasad love, that is, he keeps his promises. He's reigning on high and he will never retire. God is going to be there for him. He doesn't know how it's going to work out. You know, our conclusion has an application here that's twofold. Number one, are you struggling with, personally, with, with trusting God right now? Perhaps a difficulty you were experiencing or are struggling with to understand God's purpose for you in it in regard to the issues you're facing. Remember, the sanctification process that God has for us, our trials are what the Word of God, what the Spirit of God uses in our life to grow and grow and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's not an easy process. But you think about all the difficulties that, that men and women in the Scriptures have had to endure, and sometimes for... For what end that doesn't even make a whole lot of sense to us? You think of of uh, John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist do so long? Nothing. He did everything that God wanted him to do, and at the end, he got his head cut off. But if and here he's, I'm just thinking of the glory of God that that David mentioned here. If if, if God wanted to bring glory to Himself by John the Baptist's life, He did. But if He wanted to bring glory to Himself by His death, He's allowed to do that. Why? Because he's God and not us. And Paul talks about trials a lot, doesn't he? I mean, when you start looking at this, this is not something that we tend to, to focus on, but, but uh, Paul was judged as a servant of God before he even really got started in, I think it was Acts chapter 8 or 9, as one who, is, who would be able to suffer greatly for God. That's what qualified him. Not necessarily his academic degrees or or his privilege or, or anything like that, but it was the fact that he would suffer for God. And and even that sanctification cycle reminds me of James chapter one. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, that is, you're complete and growing into maturity. And that's something that not a lot of us want to, to embrace. Why? Because that's difficult. Again, knowing about it is certainly much different than doing it. It's not easy. It's not certainly not pleasant oftentimes. And we don't even have to enjoy it or, or, or like it but it is necessary for us to learn spiritual maturity. It would be nice for us to learn from the mistakes of others or, or learn, you know, experience is the best teacher, but it would be nice if it was someone else's experience and not mine. But you know what? God wants to work in our lives, and so those are the things that he brings to us. A second application would be 
most of what I've said here doesn't apply to you. Why? Because you're not a child of God. That is the dependence that I'm talking about developing and encouraging you to do is cut off from you because you're not a child of God. That is, you don't know for sure you're going to heaven when you die because you haven't had your sins forgiven. It's your sins. It's, and that's something that's, that's not unique to you. We all sin. But God wants us to have our sins forgiven, and there's only one way for that to happen. And that, having our sins forgiven, allows us to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and, and, and have the dependence on, on the Father that we need. But that way of getting the forgiveness of our sins comes from us trusting Christ as our Savior. For what? What are we trusting him for? We're trusting him that he died on the cross for our sins and that death allows him to take the penalty for the sins that I deserve and that you deserve. And that's the way you can know that you're in a right relationship with him, that you're a child of the king. If that's your need today, then I encourage you to take care of that because none of the rest of this is going to make sense to you. Why depend on God? Look what he's done with my life. I'm not happy with it anyway. Well, I can understand that perspective if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's not going to be a surprise for you. You're realizing of the fact that this works, our sanctification, our growing, our maturity in Him. Third application. Do you know someone who is struggling right now with a huge difficulty? Do you know someone that could use some encouragement? There's a lady in our church who's dying of cancer. I mean, literally right in front of us. And I remember a pastor whose wife passed away of cancer. This has been many, many years ago. And he said that when his wife learned what the diagnosis was and what the end result would be, I think they gave her six months to live, she took that upon herself and had a, and, and really ran with it. She wrote letters of encouragement to people, all, every person she could think of. And for years and years later, that pastor would, would often run into someone who would bring, that, bring a note to them that they still had from his wife with the date on there was within that six-month period. And hey, keep faithful to the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. And they said that that, that testimony of her in the difficulty she was going through was such an encouragement to them. But you could be that encouragement to others. Back to my time in the Grand Canyon a week and a half ago and throughout that. Uh, by the end of the trip, I found out that many of the guys there had similar thoughts about the trip that I had. We concluded that it was one of the best experiences we'd ever have, but we couldn't wait for it to be over. I mean, really, that's the truth. Was we were just, you know, boy, it's not that like, I wasn't even like, oh, I'd like a, a nice bed to sleep on it. That wasn't it. It's just like, I'd like to have a little bit of privacy or something like that, you know? And uh, and it was just so different. But it that's, ex- and I, I realized as I kind of, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And uh, and the, to, to be surprised by the fact that so many people on that trip, other men, had the same conclusion I had. I mean, we missed our wives and our kids, and we couldn't wait to get home, but we're seeing some of the most amazing parts of God's creation and the, the geology of it and all the, edu- the 
the lectures and stuff they gave us was amazing. It was wonderful. It was glorious and grand. And, and, and even to see what was understood as creation rock, and then here's layers of sediment that came later. I mean, you know, that, that was amazing. And the water and the waterfalls and the beautiful stuff and all that. But, well, you know what? We just couldn't wait to get that to get over with because, because uh, we just, you know, had our thoughts on other things. But it was an amazing dynamic took place. The encouragement of others in the same situation as myself was, was amazing. And I think the Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And, you know, I think that's really helpful for us, even as, as David reminds us to look around and realize how great God is, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our tri uh, tribulations and sufferings. Your suffering is real and it's significant. It's not to be, to be uh, downgraded in any way, but that it is bringing about maturing us to what God wants us to do. And we can have that uh, sense of encouragement uh, to other people too. And I encourage you to, to use this passage in your life in at least one of these different applications that I mentioned. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us as we looked into your word today and see what it has for us to, to not only learn, but also to practice in our lives, knowing all of this and how you work it trials in our lives to make us more mature is wonderful but father help us to practice it in our lives and to not react wrongly but to actually uh, embrace it because of what the greater uh, good would come of it and for this we pray in jesus name amen